Welcome to AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get support and guidance through the chaos of parenting. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I want to talk to you about how do you know if your child's therapy for anxiety or OCD is effective? How do you know things are working? I see this question all the time in my private Facebook group, and it's a really good question because there aren't a lot of just black and white indicators that will tell you this is, this is the right thing, right? If our children are given medicine or they're going to a medical doctor, we know our kids are doing better with the treatment because they start to feel better because they start to um, heal. But when we're talking about mental health, when we're talking about anxiety or OCD, it's not as clear cut. And so I thought it would be a good episode to just kind of dive into the really clear telltale signs that you are on the right path and the clear red flags that you're not. (laughs) And sometimes it doesn't have to do with a therapist. Sometimes it has to do with, is this a good fit? Is this a good fit for your child? Sometimes it depends on, is your child ready for therapy? So there's a lot of factors in there besides, is this a good therapist? So I'm going to get into them. I have some, some main things I want you to look for, and it will be different for everybody. And I definitely want you to discuss this with your therapist. I, this is not a podcast on how to get rid of your therapist. (laughs) It's a podcast on how to find the right therapist, because you really only have a finite amount of opportunities to have your child bond with someone before they get burnt out. And that goes for you as well. There is just a small window where you are open and receptive. And then eventually we start to get tired. We start to get burnt out. We start to get discouraged. We start to generalize and say, there's no help for me. Nobody understands my child. And typically for kids, that happens a lot sooner than it does happen for us as parents. So I'm going to give you both my mom perspective on this. And I'm also going to give you my therapist perspective because I kind of wear both hats and well, I don't kind of, I definitely wear both hats. And so that's kind of a unique perspective to talk to you from both uh, the, the parent perspective and also the clinical perspective. Okay. So let's get into this. Um, I do want to mention before we get started, if you have not subscribed to my podcast, don't forget to do that because my episodes come out every Tuesday and I would hate for you to miss them and be behind. So, all right, let's talk about how to see those subtle indicators. So the first thing that you want to kind of pay attention to is, is your child engaged? So I have done a previous podcast episode on how to find a good therapist. And that was episode 46. So that was a long time ago, but definitely worth going back and listening to. If you are looking for a therapist because I go into different things when I'm talking about looking for a therapist, or if you decide that you need to look for a different therapist, go and have a listen to episode 46. But you want to first gauge how things are going by your child. And you want to see that your child is somewhat engaged in a therapy process. Now, initially kids are not going to always be engaged. They may not want to be in therapy. They may be dragged to therapy, but I always say to the parents that I'm working with, I want to see that diminish over time. So 
ideally I want to see that that opposition and that, um, I'm trying to think of the right word. (laughs) The only word I was coming up with was like disgust or distaste for therapy, but that's kind of extreme, but maybe not for some of our kids. Um, just this unwillingness to really be open to therapy. We want to see that decreasing every session. So it doesn't mean your child has to be gung ho about going to therapy, but we should see some more buy-in and some rapport building, even if it's the most minute amount every session. And so that should be improving, not getting worse. Sometimes when I'm working with kids and my connection and rapport with them is getting worse over time, I will address that with a parent and I'm a really blunt therapist. And I'll just say, you know, I'm seeing more resistance. I'm seeing um, more animosity about coming. I'm seeing less involvement, less traction. And so we might put things on pause because really, if you don't have a willing participant in therapy or a neutral participant in therapy, you're not going to go anywhere as a therapist um, or as a parent. And there's a lot of financial investment. There's a lot of time investment. And there's also a window investment that you have this window of time where your child is going to make an, um, have an opinion about therapy. And that could be their opinion about therapy forever. So I'm really cognizant of that as a therapist. I don't want to ruin that for kids. So if it's going south, and it's getting more south. Can you get more south? Souther? <laughs> Every time I see that child, I don't want to ruin therapy for life for that kid. And so I might put it on pause or I might even refer them to a different therapist because it's important to know that not every therapist is going to be a good match for your child. And I know I'm not a good match for every kid. My personality may not be gelling with another child's personality. So you don't want to only look at their criteria of, um, you know, do they, can you check off every box? You know, do they talk about anxiety and OCD? Do they do cognitive behavioral therapy? Do they do exposure response prevention? If we're talking about OCD, um, yeah, we want to check off those boxes, but we also want to really look at the connection between our kids. And so if my child is getting more resistant to going, that's a clue that therapy is probably not working. Now there is a caveat to that. If I've been seeing a child for quite a while, and we're starting to do exposures, we're, tra- we're starting to do ERP therapy. Um, sometimes you do start to see resistance to therapy at that point because therapy is hard. And so if your child was bonding really well with the therapist, and now that they're starting to roll up their sleeves and start to really do some work, that resistance may not be uh, a bad thing. That may just be a, a symptom that they're starting to really do some good work and you want to you know, stick in there and maybe meet with a therapist and just say, I'm seeing a lot more resistance. Can we talk about it? But that's not necessarily an indicator that this is the wrong therapist or that therapy is not working. In fact, when you're starting to really do challenges or exposures, sometimes a child will not want to be in therapy anymore because they're having to, to face the things that they want to avoid. So, and sometimes symptoms will get worse before they get better when you're doing exposures or challenges. And so if your child is doing a lot of CBT ERP work, and if you don't even know what those mean, definitely go to my website and Google them. Well, you can't Google on my website, but go to atparentingsurvival.com, go all the way down to the bottom. There's a search button and type in ERP because um, if you have a child with OCD, you definitely need to know what ERP is because it's the only evidence-based therapeutic approach that is effective for OCD. So we're not going to go into that today, but if you're hearing me use these acronyms and you're like, what the heck is she talking about? That's a sign that um, you may not be with the right therapist and that you need to educate yourself. So 
You can always go to the International OCD Foundation's website to at least start there and look at their um, resource page where they have providers. They don't vet them out, and so you still have to do your own work, but it's a good place to start. And you can go to iocdf.org slash find dash help to get access to that directory. Okay, so the first one is, is your child engaged? Are they willing to go? The second thing I would say is, is your child learning new things? Are they, are they trying new things at home? Are you seeing that there are skills that they're applying? And this may not happen in the first two sessions, but rapport building should not go on um, ad nauseum. <laughs> I have talked to parents where they are in the sixth or seventh or eighth session and they don't know what's going on in therapy and they, the therapist is just saying that we're getting to know each other. That is a long time to get to know someone. And really, for me, if I'm not moving on to some sort of clinical approach by the third or fourth session, then I'm going to tell those parents that I'm not, I'm not able to help. Because if I'm not seeing any small progression where I'm starting to build, and for me, skill building might just be working on motivation and working on education. It does not mean that we're doing really hard exposures or we're doing a lot of skill building. It might just mean that I am in the education phase, but I have intention. Like that's what I'm doing. I'm here to educate your child on OCD or anxiety, and we're working on motivation and getting them to see how anxiety or OCD is trying to destroy their happiness, (laughs) you know? And so I'm trying to encourage motivation. That's still a goal. That's still a therapeutic goal. If I'm playing a bunch of games and I'm in the third or fourth session and I can't tell you as the parent what I'm doing, and I'm just saying we're trying to get to know each other, to me, that's a red flag that therapy may not be working. So, um, you know, there's a lot of different modalities that are fantastic for lots of things, but for anxiety and OCD, it is really important that there's skill building and there's cognitive behavioral therapy. And so it also depends on what your intention is for therapy. So if you are really confident about doing ERP at home or um, helping your child with some cognitive behavioral approaches at home, which parents are completely able to do, it's not rocket science. It just takes the commitment to educate yourself on those things, read good books, take my online class, study. You know, it's, it's really not complicated. Because a lot of times parents can't find an anxiety or OCD specialist in their area or in their country or in their small town, or there's financial barriers. So you may not have access to the kind of therapy that you want your child to have. And so maybe your intention is just for your child to have a safe place to relax and unwind and talk about their feelings. That's okay. So the criteria or the gauge in which you are evaluating whether therapy is working will be different. Like for my kids, um, two of my kids are in therapy. And unfortunately, the small, very small handful of people that I know in Arizona who treat OCD, um, I have a relationship with, (laughs) obviously, right? So I know them, I'm friends with them. And so they can't have a dual relationship with my kids. And I'm confident that I can address my kids' issues at home. We do exposures at home. We talk about, um, you know, compulsions at home. And so I just want them to have a competent therapist to be there for them to vent their feelings, you know, their struggles at home, their struggles with each other, their struggles at school, and also respect 
my lane, you know, that, okay, well, the mom's got the OCD stuff and I'm going to be there to deal with the other emotional aspect of things. And so that's how I gauge my children's therapist. Do they, do they trust her? Do they like going? Do they get excited about going? Um, when I meet with her one-on-one, do I feel like she gets my kids and do I feel like she's there to, to help them? And so to me, that's a yes, 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 right? My kids like going, they argue about who can go first. And I see progress with my son in his communication because her goal with him is just purely communication. And my goal is to work on the OCD stuff and we kind of coordinate, you know, I tell her what I'm working on or what we're doing and she's there to help him communicate and trust other people. So you have to ask yourself that because I know a lot of you don't have access to an anxiety or OCD therapist. And so maybe your child's seeing an art therapist or a play therapist, but I think it's really important to know that those do not replace anxiety and OCD treatment. Um, you know, if you are, if you have a child who is in art therapy or play therapy, um, or talk therapy, that that is not going to treat the anxiety and OCD. And you really want to make sure that that therapist stays in their lane and doesn't over-process your child's intrusive thoughts with OCD, because that actually will make it a lot worse. So you want to see if the goal is that they're working on the child's anxiety or OCD, you want to see skill building way too many therapists who quote unquote deal with anxiety will not give a child any kind of homework or skill building besides maybe just breathing and meditating, staying in the now. Those are all good supplements, but you want to see more. You want to see maybe some challenges on facing their fears. You want to see um, you know, some homework assignments of moving towards their fear, things like that. And so making sure that you're starting to see things come home is important. You also want to make sure that your child is getting something from therapy. So if you say, Hey, how was your session? What did you do? You know, and they say, I don't know, we played dominoes or we played in the sand, you know, that's okay because sometimes kids don't know what the therapist is doing, or sometimes they don't want to talk about, you know, all the skills that they learn. But if I'm hearing that over and over again, and then I talk with a therapist and I say, you know, I know that you're doing more in here than just playing in the sand. What kind of skills are you teaching her? So I can do that at home. And the therapist can't really give you a very clear answer either. That's a concern. And, you know, relaxed therapy has its place. If a child's going through parents that are getting a divorce, if they lost somebody and they're going through grief, if they're dealing with bullying or social issues, um, pretty much most things under the sun, different modalities are fine. You know, a laid back therapist who's just playing and doing sand therapy, that's fine. That's actually really good for trauma, but it's not good for anxiety or OCD. Um, sand play can be okay for anxiety, especially if there's trauma related to it, but the best thing, and for OCD, the best, absolute best thing is getting them into doing ERP. And so, and for anxiety, really CBT attacking those thoughts is really, really imperative. So meeting with a therapist and seeing that they have a clear vision of where they're going is another thing that will say that therapy is working. So um, just to recap so far, we've got that your child's engaged, they're willing to go, you're not dragging them to the car, um, or it's getting better every time, right? Because some kids, they, they're very slow to warm, and it might take a long time, but as long as it's improving slightly, that they're moving towards neutral, they don't have to love it, that's good. The child is showing that they have some new skills that they're trying at home, new language, 
And then when you meet with a therapist, the therapist can give you a clear roadmap of where they're going, what they're doing, and it makes sense. So it's not just random, you know, I'm just getting to know your child or we're just playing or, you know, I'm just getting your child to express their feelings. It's, it's a lot more skill based than that. And that, that comes with good training. So, um, I tend to meet with parents in my sessions at the same time, because in therapy to me, it's all skill building. And the parent is like the left arm and the child's the right arm. And you know, I'm the feet. (laughs) That's weird, but we're a team. And so I need the parent in there because we're a team and we're going to be talking about exactly what they're going to be doing at home. If your therapist doesn't meet with you, then I always recommend that you go in there at least every three sessions and meet with the therapist so that you get your homework, you get your job because anxiety and OCD is a family affair. I always say that it doesn't just stick with your child. You are, you play a big role in it. You know, are you accommodating? Are you reassuring? What are you supposed to do when your child's having a panic? What are you supposed to do when your child wants to do a compulsion? What's your job? That's important. So meeting with the therapist, if your therapist doesn't want to meet with you or says they don't do that, or they are concerned about your child's confidentiality. And it's like, yeah, what, what I do with your child has to stay between us. That's a huge red flag for anxiety and OCD. That's great for divorce. It could be okay for grief. But for anxiety and OCD, it does not work that way um, because you are part of the team. So um, therapy is working when your therapist is always willing to meet with you, involves you in treatment that's even better, and has clear intentions of where they're going and what they're doing. And they're not just showing up, um, clocking in and killing an hour with your child. A lot of therapists do that. And you don't want one of those. Um, You want them to know that you're aware of what the goals are and you want to see some progress and movement, even if it's slow. Um, Another sign that therapy is working is that things aren't getting worse. (laughs) I know that sounds kind of obvious, but you want to see some progression. So even if things are mildly better, your child is just communicating a little bit more or your child did one little thing that they normally wouldn't do or they didn't avoid or do a compulsion or you feel like they have a plan You just want to see that things aren't progressively getting worse. Now, it's important to mention that if your therapist has been with your child for a little while and they're starting to move into exposures or challenges like we just talked about, things will get worse. Um, They often get very bad in the beginning when you're doing exposures. The first week can be really rough on a child. Don't bail on the therapist because things are getting worse. That's actually sometimes a good sign. So I know that's confusing because I'm giving you mixed messages, but when they get into the skill building aspect of things, things do get harder for a little while and things do get worse and symptoms do pop up because anxiety and OCD is flailing and saying, oh no, you can't attack me. And it revs up its game for a little while before it goes all the way down or at least less, it goes further down, not all the way down. Um, It takes time. So you want to see that happening. Okay. So some signs that therapy is not working and it's not effective is that you have no idea what's happening in there. Okay. That's a very big clue that that's not okay. And therapists are like, um, you know, we're like coffee shops. We have all different flavors and we're on every corner and we all come from different places. There's Colombian coffee and there's Brazilian coffee. And, um, we all come from different educations. We all come from different childhoods. We all come from different backgrounds. And so one therapist does not equal the other. We are all unique little snowflowers, snowflowers. 
I don't think that's a word. We're all unique snowflakes. That's better, right? And we we will have different styles. We will have different approaches. We will have different ideas on what needs to be done. And so don't look at us all the same. Everyone's different. So you have to shop around. So if you have no idea what's happening in there and the therapist doesn't really want to, you know, make that change and say, let me tell you what's going on in here, because some therapists, maybe their style is not to really include the parent. And that doesn't mean they're necessarily a bad therapist. It just means that you have to kind of help them adapt their style and say, I want to, I want to be involved. I want to know what my job is. I want to know how I'm supposed to help my child. So can I come in every three sessions? Um, or maybe you have a therapist who is cluing you in, but every time you leave, you're baffled about what, what is it exactly that they're working on? You don't know. Um, when I meet with my child's therapist, she takes notes and I'll say, I really want him to work on this. So I really, you know, he has this issue and I see her writing it down and she'll say, okay, next session, I'll be sure to try to help him process that or next session or in the next few sessions, I'll, I'll kind of work on that. And so I feel heard. I feel validated. I feel like she, she's listening and she's moving on and, um, putting her goals aligned with mine. So that's what you want to see with a good therapist. Um, The other thing that would be a big red flag is that there seems to be like no consistency. So consistency on multiple levels. If your child um, can't get an appointment all the time and the therapist isn't upfront with you and says, you know, it's going to be hard to get in, but you know, they're canceling a lot of appointments or they're, um, you know, they're just not reliable. They're showing up late to your own sessions or um, you're getting cancellations from them all the time that's a concern. There are a lot of flaky people out there and, and therapists are included in that. And so if you have a flaky therapist, that's not a good sign. Um, I've had a lot of flaky providers in the past for my kids, whether it's speech or OT and, um, you know, they're constantly canceling or they're constantly changing the time. And no matter how good they are, I normally leave those providers because I just don't like someone who's not dependable. So that's a problem but are they inconsistent too with their approach? Do they feel like they're just shooting in the dark? Like whatever your child's current issue is in that session, that's what they're going to talk about. That can be a therapist who's clocking in and is not having like their own, um, kind of goal setting or intention. If I'm just sitting there and your child just comes in and today they're upset because their brother touched a toy and it was contaminated. And we're going to just spend the, the session talking about that. And then next week they come in and they talk about how their friend was really mean to them. And we're just going to sit there and talk about that. That's not being consistent with treatment. Consistency looks like I know where we're headed. Maybe I know your issue is that you're afraid of throwing up. And so even if you're having a bad day with your friend, I'm not going to sit and spend a lot of time on that because my job is to help you with your fear of throw up. And so I might let you know, you know, I'm sorry, you know, and, and hear you for a minute. I'm sorry. You had a rough day with your friend. That's really rough. But if it's not related to your fear of throwing up, I'm going to tell you that we're going to have to shelf that. And we're going to focus on the fear of throwing up. It sounds kind of harsh, but when you're dealing with anxiety and OCD, you, you can be distracted by life so easily because they're kids. And so they're going to have fights with their friends. They're going to have fights with their families. They're, they're going to have life happen, but Um, when you're skill building and you're super focused, you have to kind of stay in your lane and focus on the goal that you're working on. Now I will check in with kids and I'll say, you know, what are some of your anxiety or OCD themes this week? Like what's been bothering you the most? Because I do want to focus on the biggest symptom 
And so if last week you were like terrified of germs, but this week that doesn't bother you as much, but you're really concerned with, um, contaminated food, then I might shift my focus and my exposures might be different or we might address something different, but we're still moving in the same general direction. So you want to see some consistency with therapy, that things are building on each other and that your child is developing these skills and they're applying them. It may be different depending on what their current compulsion or anxiety theme is, but they're still progressing. You don't want them to have squirrel syndrome where they can get squirreled really easily because kids will squirrel you. They will, they squirrel me all the time. And sometimes I don't catch it until like I'm 10, 15 minutes into the conversation. I'm like, you're squirreling me. You know, we're going to sit here and talk all day long about um, that boy in your algebra class. That's, that's not relevant. That's totally squirreling me. And sometimes I'll call kids on that. I'm like, you've got me talking about something that's not related to what you're here for. And they'll kind of have a smirk and they'll be like, I know it's just so hard to talk about anxiety and OCD. And so a lot of times it's intentional, but a lot of times it's not. So you want to make sure that things seem to be moving in the right direction. And then the last thing I would say is trust your gut. So, so many times my gut has been screaming at me for various things, not always related to therapy. And I don't listen because I listen with my brain and my brain says, well, she's got all the credentials. Well, everybody else likes her. Well, you know, she looks really good on paper. Well, maybe if I just give it a chance, maybe if I just wait a little bit longer, it'll get better. And I... I want to urge you to trust your gut. So if your gut is screaming at you, if every time you leave therapy, you think, what the heck was that? Or you think, how is that helpful? Then the first step, the first step is always meet with a therapist. I mean, unless they've done something that's just so overwhelmingly bad or um, not on target for anxiety and OCD, that it's just a no brainer. I have had therapists that have worked with my kids where they make comments and it just tells me they don't get anxiety or OCD. And Um, and they're not respecting me. And that's a no brainer. My gut is just like, get out of here. And sometimes I wait too long, but uh, then I go. So trust your gut. And if you're on the fence, you know, meet with the therapist because a lot of times therapists can be, can adapt and a good therapist will adapt. And so if I have parents who want to meet with me and they want me to do something different than I normally do, I will adapt if it makes clinical sense. And if it doesn't make clinical sense, I will tell them, I'm going to do what you want, but here are my concerns. And this is why I think this approach is really not the smartest thing to do um, or the most effective. But ultimately, I'm still going to respect the parent if it makes somewhat sense, you know? So it depends on what they're asking. So meet with the therapist and discuss your concerns. Just say, you know, we've been in therapy for five months and I'm not sure... I'm not sure I'm seeing any progress and I just want to, and I know, you know, sometimes it can be hard because kids can do better and then they can do worse, but I want to know what's going on in therapy. So can we talk about what our therapy goals are, what you've worked on, um, what you're going to be working on. And if the therapist gets super defensive, that's not a good therapist because ultimately we're there to serve the families that we're, we're treating and not our own egos. And so I wouldn't want to work with someone who get so offended by that, that they can't, they can't move on. Um, and kids do get better and worse and that has nothing to do with the therapy always. Right. And so sometimes your kids will, will cycle and they can be in a really bad spot with their anxiety or OCD, and then they can get better. 
maybe they get on medication or maybe just developmentally they improve and then things can get worse again. They're triggered or physiologically something changes or hormonally something changes or their medication changes. And that has nothing to do with the therapist. So sometimes kids just start to, to decompensate and you don't want to always just look right at the therapist and say, what's the therapist do? because, um, therapists aren't that magical. <laughs> so when everything else has stayed the same and you're really seeing that the therapy is not improving, that's when you want to really focus. I've had parents where they would email me like the day after I just met a kid and be like, I don't know what happened, but you know, now she's really not doing well. I don't know what happened in therapy. This is a long time ago when I didn't have their parents in therapy session. And I'd be like, I'm not that magical. Like I literally was just getting to know your child. So I think sometimes parents put like too much power into therapy and not realizing that it's slow and it's a process. Um, but it's not slow to the point where like it's six months and nothing has changed and nothing is happening. It's not that slow. So meet with a therapist, voice your concerns, or talk to them about wanting kind of a, a roadmap of where you're headed. And that can definitely help. So I hope that gives you some ideas on whether your child is having effective therapy or not. I think it's important to know that therapists are not, you know, we're not magical. And I will often tell parents that I have no magic fairy dust, that if I don't have a child that is a willing participant, there's no way I can just sprinkle them with magic fairy dust and they'll get better. I'm not that great. I don't think anyone on this planet is that great because with anxiety and OCD, you have to have a willing participant and that can be tricky because your child may not be ready yet. So sometimes, and we talked about this in the very beginning of this episode, sometimes it's not about the therapist. Sometimes it's about the child, but you want a good therapist who will let you know that. And so I think that's important too, is if if it's not going well because your child is just not engaged and you are into like the fourth or fifth or sixth or seventh session and it's getting worse and the child's like refusing to get in the car or they're just really angry about it and nothing is happening in therapy, uh, you want to talk to the therapist. I'm very quick after the third session to let kids go and you know give resources to the parents um, that they can research online or by themselves or they can certainly come into my practice alone and get support. But I'm very quick to say, this is going south. I'm not going to be able to do anything right now where your child is at, but hopefully we can revisit that in the future. And I do that because I don't want to ruin therapy for that child. And I don't want to waste the parent's time and money. If I know by the third session, I'm not bonding with this kid and this kid is getting angrier or even in the first session I've had, you know, kids where in the first session I could tell this is not going to go well. There's just no way I'll be able to teach them any skills. They're just not in a, a state where they can hear it. I'll let the parent know right away because ultimately I respect their time and money and I'm not going to just clock in, grab my paycheck and not really care or be invested in the fact that I know if I think about it, I'm not going to be able to make progress because the kid's just not ready. You want a therapist who will be honest, be blunt and let you know because that's that's you you, you deserve that. Okay. Well, I hope that you're enjoying my podcast. I'm hoping that you find all this information helpful. And if you are enjoying the podcast, if you can leave a star, hit a star on iTunes or Google play or Stitcher or wherever you consume your podcast, that greatly helps the show. Just lets other parents know that this is a valuable show. And if you have a few extra minutes and you can leave uh, a review, I greatly appreciate that. That's very helpful because then parents can read those reviews and realize, hey, you know what? There's something of value here. I'm going to give it a try 
because we're all really short on time and we just need the extra, um, weigh in that this is worthwhile. I don't know about you, but I'm like one of those people who reads reviews. And whenever I am buying anything on Amazon, I read the reviews. I'm a review reader and I know other parents are as well. So to show my gratitude, I always like to end my show. If I remember reading one of them. So I want to read, uh, D Stockarelli wrote oxygen for my weary soul. I appreciate that already. Uh, she wrote, I could not be more grateful for this resource. We have just begun to put a name to my child's struggles and we can barely see out from underneath the overwhelm. This podcast has helped me to breathe. Natasha, the host is not only a therapist, but also a parent who also has children who wrestle with OCD and anxiety. There are days when this life can be all the way debilitating, but this show has made such a difference for me and my family. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to write that review. I really appreciate that. And I hope that things get better. Um, they always do. I know I have been in some dark places with my kids and, um, we've always found the sunshine and the light has always eventually, uh, shown on us. So I hope that happens to you as well. And, um, if you have something nice to say or something to say about the show, maybe I'll be reading your review next time, but until then, I hope you find the sparkle in everything you do. I'll talk to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to AT Parenting Survival Podcast. For more tips and parenting support, visit anxioustoddlers.com.